Hold on, okay. hold on, Jonathan. Say this again, Jonathan. What were you doing today? I was doing jujitsu. I just came from from one of my sessions and got choked out by a woman half my half my size, and probably half my age is not half my age, but like definitely someone younger than me. And it's it's a humbling sport. I'm telling you, like it's all about technique. It's not size. It's not mass. It's skill. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is if I was starting today a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? On today's podcast, I'm bringing in Jonathan, my amazing business partner, to do a recap of 2022. It's December 9th as we're recording this. So there's still there's still time in the year. So maybe we're doing this too soon, but that's all right. We'll, we'll hit on the, the, the highlights. Jonathan, before we get into the 2022 retrospective, I've got some beef with you. I have some a really sad stat. Do you know how many times we saw each other in person this year? Because I keep track of all of our face-to-face encounters. You know what that number was? Yeah, you're bringing it up the other day, actually. So it's a zero. The last one was in 2021. So it crossed a full year without seeing each other. That's that's quite crazy when you said it to me. I completely lost track of time. So, yeah. Not only that, we don't talk after 3 p.m. because you're in an undisclosed location that no one can know about. Because uh, sometimes after 3 p.m., you know, I need I need to chat with somebody. I've got some things to say. And listener, just so you know, in a previous life, Jonathan and I used to go to co-working spaces. We used to get espressos together. We used to go work out or hang out at the Washington Athletic Club. We could walk through downtown Seattle, talk about our hopes, dreams, and aspirations. Now we just live through Zoom. So is that going to change in 2023? What's up? Make it sound like we were dating back in the day, <laughs> but it might actually change. Change. I'm not sure. I'm hoping that you also potentially explore the idea of moving out of Seattle. Who knows? There are more cities in the U.S. than Seattle, although I love Seattle. But yeah, I think it, it, we can definitely get back to that. There's some some things I haven't planned, but I'll share that most likely on the, the next podcast, which is planning ahead for 2023. Oh, man, I'm, I'm ready for this. Well, you also told me and I recorded it that you're coming in town in early 2023. So I've been thinking we need to do a shared experience together to further our relationship. So here's what I got. I think we should either one, do an ice bath challenge together, Wim Hof style. Don't worry, we'll have our own separate baths. But I think we should do either an ice bath together or two, we go with my trainer and we do a workout session and just really hit the buys and the tries together. Or three, um, I wanted to go on a boat, but it's going to be freezing when you're here. So I think that's a bad idea. But what do you, what do you feel about that? We need to do a, a partner retreat. That's that's very good. I like it. I wouldn't do an ice bath in the winter if it's maybe a bad <laughs> idea. But a workout session, totally down for that. I actually want to play squash with you. We've always talked about it. And even, you know, I don't know if you've played it before, but the WAC or the Washington Athletic Club we used to go to has one of the best facilities for that. So love to check that out. Yeah, I'm not 50 yet, so I haven't played it, but I'm down to play with you. So we'll see how that goes. So anyway, listener, we'll, we'll get to the regularly scheduled program, but just so this is documented, it's I'm trying to, you know, get the band back together. So we'll see how that goes. All right, let's talk 2022 recap. So we've got some notes here. We're staring at a Google Doc. And one of the big ones I want to hit on is, 
you know, the highs and lows of growth. So for people to know, I guess two years ago, we were under 10 people. We're, we're now at 30 people at Growth Hit. We, 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 we've doubled sales. We On paper, we can make the argument like we're, we're this rocket ship and there's a lot of good stuff going on. And, and there is, but it's not linear. It's, it's very much ups and downs, highs and lows. And I was reading this book. It was actually recommended to me by our interim CFO. And I want to get the name right, but it's Simple Number, Straight Talk, Big Profits. And the main thing to know about this book is category or section around the black hole of business. And the black hole of business is where most businesses go to die and they stagnate. And the black hole is very specific. It's when you hit over 20 people or you're between 1 million to 5 million in sales. And if this is business bingo, we're hitting all of these, these numbers and we are there. And why it's so tough is you're at this phase where you need you, you want to grow, but to grow, you need extra layers of management. Systems and processes start to break and you have to reconfigure them. And if things at all slip or if businesses go back and you've invested in growth, oh man, you could have the rug pulled out from under you. And it's where a lot of companies don't survive. And we we definitely felt some of that pain. You know, as we were growing, we did have pullback in Q3 and we we had to let, you know, two people go, which which really sucks. You know, we've never had to do that because we were investing in growth. We were investing in redundancy and having people to help with what we thought was going to be higher demand, but it, but it, it wasn't at the level that we thought. And I, I kind of go to bed at night just playing this what if game and what's the right move when it comes to capital allocation. So for me, you know, it's, it's the highs and lows of, you kind of said it well the other day. It's like, hey, it's like we're running a real business. And and that's what it, it's felt like in the past year. Yeah, you know what? <clears throat> Funny thing is, last time we were together working, we had six people on the team, if I remember correctly, four people based out of the U.S., two offshore, and that has since exploded to over thirty now. I, I would even go as far as saying the majority of the people don't even know each other and don't even know that they that they exist. So it's just this: the company has scaled to the point where previous like systems processes have, in my opinion, broken, and we've fixed it. We've rebuilt a lot of those things. And I also think EOS for creating a framework and a common language for us to address a lot of these problems, because I think without that, we would have really not had the, we wouldn't have had the tools to address a lot of the problems as they were occurring. But now I think after that, I feel like we've kind of, I think we were over the hill and now we're on the, the positive side where I think a lot of the risk is behind us. We've learned a lot. We've made some mistakes in the recent history of, as you've just said, scaling past demand. And we've had to pull back and adjust. And all those insights have now, I think, have made us a stronger company. So whatever doesn't kill you kind of makes you stronger. And I think we're definitely there. Yeah. And the EOS reference is Entrepreneur Operating System from the book Traction, where it's a framework for, for how to run your business. And we did an episode with Corey Wright, who was our EOS implementer, amazing guy. And for us, we, we got it at the right time because it was right when we were formalizing an executive team and we were hitting kind of over the 20 person mark. But yeah, I think if we didn't have that framework, I, I'm not sure where we would be. All right. The, the second one I have on my list is growth hit got got a got a makeover. We got a new site. We got a new fancy logo. And I, I'm pretty excited about it. And it got me thinking around this question that I kind of oscillate on, which is does brand 
matter? And I don't think it's a matter, a question of does brand, does branding matter or does your brand matter? It's a question of when does it matter? And I think when you're starting out, I, I like cringe when people are like, oh, that's off brand. That's off brand. When you're a startup with nothing, the, what kills you is time and speed. And when you use that as an excuse, not for learning and iterating, it will cripple you. But then as you grow and mature, brand is your moat. Man needs to be very precious. And that's where you really need to value it and kind of lean into it and, and have guardrails around it. And that, that's kind of what I've settled on. Like I'm reading the seven powers book and, you know, brand is huge as far as a, a true moat. And if you look at a lot of the companies Warren Buffett invests in, it's around brand and what they've built. And as we look at one, I don't know if you're, you, I, I know you definitely remember this, if you go back to the Wayback Machine for Growth Fit, and please don't do it because you'll see some designs that I did that are just horrific. But we made a big move in 2019 to do a, an upgraded website and it paid off. Like it, our personality came through. We could showcase case studies and it helped us close competitive deals. And so I'm very excited to see what this new website does. But not sure if you have thoughts on that or even like this idea of brand. Yeah, I remember being part of that redesign in 2019 and the back and forth that went into that. And again, like the success that came after that. But I think what, what's very interesting to me is not so much brand, like looking outwards for the rest of the world, but brand and what it means to the people that work at the company. Like most of the people at the company, I think this is probably the first time they've been with a company scale this fast and reach where it has right now. And just us defining our brand values, not just the logo and the pretty website, but what it means to the people internally. That's been a huge exercise and it's had a huge impact. And as people see the business evolve, the look and feel, the number of people working there, that just builds a lot of morale. And that's been huge internally with the rest of the team. So yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, the company values is huge. And we can share those out and talk about those as well, because that was, that was a fun one. All right, the third thing that I have... Our little startup studios getting some momentum. We are our first startup one day design cross six figures. Again, we have the three million dollar challenge. We want that to be seven figures, but that's okay. But I I think our we're really looking to hit seven figures next year with it. And then uh, handsome chaos. This could be the the fail where we're supposed to launch this year, but it is pushed to next year because of fun manufacturing manufacturing issues that we ran into. But what are your big takeaways from the startup studio as, as we're trying, we're growing this agency, but then we're like, hey, let's grow these other startups. I remember when you first had this discussion, it was mostly focused on what do we need to acquire? Do we acquire these small startups and then grow them using our marketing skills? But out of our own need at the start of the year, when there was a lull in the market, we decided to start 1D Design, which has since crossed six figures. And that's actually a decent clip, considering how on other podcasts we discussed that we didn't have a dedicated person to run it. So that's a win in its own right. There are definitely some interesting things that are possible there. And I think it's, it's, it's very possible to get it past seven figures. And what gives me the most confidence is the, the average order value, lifetime value of a 1D Design client is so high we don't need a lot of clients, like even with just a few, like a steady, even a single, single source of getting customers. And I think that will definitely help us get to seven figures. Yeah, I, it's real, and that's one of my big things for next year is carving out time for that thing to really get the, 
the TLC it, it deserves. Well, nice. And then the podcast, we crossed a hundred episodes. We actually got a sponsor. Wasn't really looking for, but that's kind of fun. But I want to do bigger swing experiments with the podcast next year in different format types. So I've been hitting up people that listen to it to get their thoughts and feedback. But I'm excited to kind of talk about the things we're going to test here because I, I I really think we're just getting started w- with this. And another one we don't talk much about. So I'm at let's see one two three four. This is the fifth one. We're we're doing an experiment on TikTok. I say we, but it's you, and the results are insane. I don't know if you want to give an update on that because that's that's I think that's a huge win for this year. Yeah, absolutely. And it started re- relatively late in the second half of the year. It's a concept I've been working on for quite a while, which is just highlighting the best marketing and business examples out there. One for our own uses, but also you know just to educate others as well. TikTok and making videos. I've always been obsessed with videos, making, editing videos. And I just wanted to build that muscle and build out a team as well that can support on that front. And I think within three or I'd say roughly three months or so, we managed to cross um, well over a million views. I think even one video had over a million views that went viral and had over or close to 20,000 followers. So that's been a huge win. And it's given us confidence because Going into next year, which we'll talk about on the next podcast, it's more about like, how do we build the muscle for promoting the content and putting ourselves out there? So now we've done the first part, which is content production. And that's very exciting. Yeah. And I feel like we we broke it up into three categories where it was one being really strategic with unique content. And that's all you coming up with and, and, and recording it. The second was a really strong content creation team that could take your raw footage and build it for the platform. And then the third, which was kind of the missing piece, was just a content distributor who could yeah. put it out there, knows how the algorithm works. And those three roles, it's blown me away by kind of segmenting it by specialty, how well that's done. Yeah, there's actually a big learning in there, which is like when we build workflows for our initiatives, there needs to be a very talented person that mans every single step of that process. So I think we definitely cracked it with this, with damn good marketing, but we'll also be doing the same thing for the other offerings and, and projects we work on. Yeah. But yeah, th- this is something we'll be talking about more in the, in the next episode, but I, I have big plans for what we can do with our content strategy. Today's episode is brought to you by inside.com. Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? And look no further. Seriously, this one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. For me, I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. 
He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the quality's there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. If you want to connect with me, go to insight.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Insight. Let me know what you think. All right, so what are we at? The seventh one. We're doing our first State of the Union all hands as a company. I I talk to other founders that are like VC-backed companies. They have to send weekly or monthly updates. They're doing monthly all hands meetings. We're a bootstrap company, a lot of freelancers, hourly people. We've never done an all hands with everybody, which is kind of crazy. But as we look to build culture, build brand, you know, I want to be transparent in what we're doing. So I'm interested to one, see how it goes. And two, what's the cadence that I should be meeting with the entire company or team? We should be with the entire company and team to give updates. We do like weekly Slack updates to everybody. But what about doing an all hands one? So I'm interested to see how this goes and how often we should be doing it. Yeah, I think we're going to surprise the entire team with the amount of effort that went into creating the not only the concept, but the content that'll be shared on that team meeting. So it's going to be a celebration of what's happened over the past year. And it's also going to give us a chance to look forward to what's coming up, restate the mission again and uh, everyone's role in that. So it's going to be exciting. I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, we, we're, we're doing an award ceremony. It might be 30 slides long, but that's okay. People have to sit through it. It's going to be fantastic. All right. Another one is, you know, one thing you and I have been circling for a while is we don't want to just be another like marketing agency that that does a certain service. But in order to not be another like me too type of agency, you have to have a unique perspective, a, a unique point of view, almost something that's conflicting to what is the norm out there. And it's building your own IP and framework. And I feel like in the past 10 days, it's finally revealed itself that, that we'll be rolling out next year. And so that's something that I'm I am glad we finally hit on it to be vocal with it next year. But but we'll see how it resonates, man. Because I get so much feedback from these pitches on what works and what doesn't. It's a little daunting to kind of, you know, burn the bridges on a certain way we've done things and go all in on this new category of offering that we're going to be creating next year. It's definitely scary. And there's no question about that. But I also feel like any, the same way, like there's, there's initial work that has to be done, but long-term value in creating a brand. I also feel like Part of that is also creating our own unique identity, a unique offering that differentiates us from everyone else. We can't differentiate by what we do because everyone does some version of that. But our our unique perspective, our angle on, on how we deliver it is, I think, what's going to be our ultimate differentiator. Think of, for example, in the consulting space, in larger firms, Everyone pretty much does the same thing, but Boston Consulting Group at that point was a relatively new firm, started off with their star matrix, and every single company wanted to come to them because of their star matrix and what it allowed them to do. It's just a unique point of view, and they, are, and they become the, the way to execute that. You only go to them for that, for, that, for that offering. And I think that's 
That's what we're trying to do here. It's going to be an iterative process. I don't feel like we're going to hit it on the first attempt and that's it. That's it. It's going to be something that we spend time developing, nurturing, uh, educating people on. And I think this is the right offer at the right time as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So for people to know, like back when growth hacking was becoming a thing, it's like jumping on a wave of growth hacking and having your own framework or IP for it, like refined labs, what they're doing in the B2B space is, is doing something. So yeah, we're hoping to roll out something next year that is different from what anybody else is doing. So we'll see how it goes. Um, another big takeaway from 2022 is it was my first year in this entrepreneurship group where I got to really learn from other founders and CEOs of companies doing seven and eight figures. And I cannot stress enough how important it is to have peer groups and people to confide in or to compare notes with. One, you you can definitely learn. I love learning from founders with companies bigger than mine or have been through what I'm going through because it's like you get the the cheat, the, the cheat code or the answers to the test. But also I love seeing how people's minds work when they're trying to problem solve or come up with a strategy. Because you just kind of file all these notes away. So when it's your time to make a decision, you you have that experience to lean on, even though it's somebody else's experience. So it's something that like, I'm also glad like we're in this together because I think like being a solo founder and if you didn't have a peer group, you would just be in your head all the time trying to figure this out. So that's something that I I can't like stress enough, like how impactful that's been. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think as you learn things and, you know, see a new perspective, please share that with the rest of the team, because that's the accumulated knowledge of someone who's been through that problem and has found an answer. So I think there's some interesting things there that I think the rest of the team can learn from as well. Oh, no, totally. And it's, and everybody's going through their own stuff, whether it's someone that's about to do an acquisition or someone that's, you know, trying to raise money or someone that's hitting a huge downturn or a legal issue. It's just, man, like, there, there's so many obstacles, good and bad, that can like be thrown at you if you can have bad, bad obstacles. But um, and the, the the last thing that I had on the business front is I did 17 speaking engagements this year. Some with Bazooka Gum, one with TechStars or Expert Dojo, and some VC firms. And it's kind of connected to coming up with their own framework where like they would go well, but I feel like I'm I'm saying the same thing I was saying three and four years ago. It's like I'm becoming a dinosaur. Like I need to be even more innovative with the stuff that I'm putting out there. And that's that's where my head is at. And just recently in the past few months, I started testing some of this new content. And it, it's been really cool to see the feedback. But but I do the the good thing about having to speak in public is you do not want to go up there and look stupid or underperform. That'll motivate you real quick to have a good deck and an innovative thought. And so speaking is a forcing function for trying to be sharp with what you're going to say. So I think that's something that I always want to continue to do for for that reason. Yeah, it's also, I I think, an opportunity to test ideas like a laboratory to see how people react. And I think that going back to our offer, our unique offer, I feel, you know, testing that out on the speaking circuit might be an interesting way to see how people respond to it. Yeah. So what what do you have on the personal side of things? So one of the biggest changes I made in this past year was going OMAD or one meal a day is what it stands for. I'm very aggressive. I know, Jim, we've tried intermittent fasting 
and the 16-8 split, which is you fast for 16 hours, you eat for eight hours. We both complained, but OMAD is, is a more aggressive, but surprisingly a much easier route with the exception of the first few days, obviously, because you haven't adjusted to it. But once you're on that rhythm, the first and most shocking thing is just how much mental bandwidth is spent thinking about food and planning the next meal. And when you just have one meal to deal with, the rest of the 24 hours are spent on focusing on your objectives. And that fasted state where you're not hungry, but you're, you're not full, your, your mental faculties are at their peak. So I found that to be very effective for me. I know many people have found value from it as well. And from a health benefit perspective, there's no question about it. I don't think I've been, I've ever been in a better physical condition. So yeah, many benefits. I mean, how many calories are you packing into that one meal? Is it just, is it real protein heavy? Yeah. So 180 grams of protein and then the rest of the macros, depending on what you're trying to do. So it's, you eat very efficiently. The best part is also because you can only eat one meal, you first have to get in your macros, like your protein and all the other stuff. And with what's left, you can maybe experiment with something else, but you're probably full at that point. So so, so how are you getting 180 grams of protein? Are you just popping flame and yawns? Like what, what are you doing? <laughs> so imagine you, you went to Chipotle, right? So what I would do is like triple meat is what I do. That's, that's <laughs> my uh, protein, right? Yeah. And then everything else is, is what's left. But yeah, that's. that's Does it definitely. matter what time of day you eat? Are you doing the mornings or at night? I would not advise someone to do it at night because consuming. Really? Like all your calories at night is brutal. Oh yeah. Uh, just before you go to bed, if you're like a social person and you're going to be out with people and you want to be able to consume food at that time, that's possible. I mean, it just has to adjust with your, with your needs. Morning would be brutal as well because okay, you get all your calories at first, but now you have an entire 24 hours to survive on that. So lunch, a late lunch, I find to be the best time for it. Gotcha. Well, I didn't even know if you put OMAD on this sheet. I was like, I don't even know what this means, but I feel very educated now. Are you going to keep this up throughout the all next year? I think this is a lifetime, a lifetime wow. choice. I made. Yeah. It's not a one-time experiment that I'll be doing for the next X amount of months or weeks. It's, it's for life. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Give, give me the next my, one. What's yeah. That? And actually I also do a lot of blood work. So I, I check my, my blood panel regularly and, because of this, I think my numbers have are like literally at an all-time peak. So has um, it impacted like your muscle mass? Are you are you jacked now? Are you a 12 pack or what's happening? <laughs> so it's muscle mass, there are a lot of other variables involved in that, but like the the key vitals on like your metabolism, your insulin sensitivity, and things like that. OMAD has definitely put me in my peak. And yeah, I think it's it's been working extremely well so far. All right, you dodged the question. I don't think you have a 12 pack, but you No, uh, I do not have a 12 pack. Yeah, that's for sure. Dude, okay. amazing. So listener, before before Yonthan and I hit started recording, he my, he mentioned that he got choked out by a 120-pound female, which is why his voice sounds a little weird. But you want to talk about why that happened? Yeah, so I've been uh, doing jujitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo for um 18 months now, plus or minus, and it's it's extremely fun. It's very humbling as well. However good you are, however big, however strong, you can go there and someone with even slightly better technique at that specific moment could take you down. And I was rolling, which is the terminology for what happens there with... Um, By the way, I know what rolling means. You don't need to explain it to me. I listened to the Jocko podcast. I get okay. it. Go ahead. 
There you go. Rolling with, I don't I would even say like a girl, probably 18. I don't even think 120 pounds, might even be lower than that, but she has extremely <laughs> flawless technique. Um, she's a purple belt, I believe. And yeah, she, she took me out. So, um, and I'm, my, my, my throat is very sore. I think she put most of her weight around my, my, uh, my throat. So yeah, that's why I'm speaking so weirdly here. Again, I, you cannot get choked out and die because of jujitsu. We have too many big goals to accomplish. I will be very upset, but, um, can we get a video, man? I needed a highlight reel of Jonathan taken down, whether it's little girls or whoever you're fighting. I'd love to see the, the highlight reel. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about jujitsu is you have very high highs and low lows. I took down a guy much larger than me the other day. And I felt like I was on top of the world. And yeah. here I am a few days later, being taken down by like a hundred pound woman. So yeah, I'll definitely get you that highlight reel. Or maybe, I don't know if I, if I actually want to do that. You might share that with the rest of the team and make fun of me. So I'll, I'll yeah. give it to our TikTok team and you'll, you'll be viral <laughs> real quick. That'd be amazing. All right. What's this dopamine detox? I'm very intrigued. Yeah. So dopamine detox slash monk mode, where for a while, and I've been doing this, I think for two months now, where you block out all the tempting dopamine sources. So for me, it's really YouTube. YouTube is my source of education, entertainment, my everything. And I've essentially banned myself from using YouTube. And funny thing that happens is when you block YouTube, you need to fill that habit with something else. For me, that's been audiobooks, Blinkist and, and the things like that, Kindle as well. So it's forced me to find something else to fill the space and it's been healthier habits as well. Yeah, that's that's essentially the, the, the my version of the dopamine detox. That's my number one flaw. Part of this as well has been banning coffee entirely. I'm off Ugh, coffee, no. which is shocking. I never thought I would do this ever. So the things that... I don't intentionally do where like I almost have like a, quite frankly, like a crack addict or something like that. I just need to get a new round of dopamine is what I've decided to stop for that. For me, that's been YouTube, other forms of entertainment as well. So let's say Netflix on a Saturday night or a Sunday night, all those things, just banning that, removing it. And funny thing is your, your mind rewires pretty fast. You're no longer dependent on, dependent on it. And you find new sources of that dopamine, which tend to be healthier which tend to require effort as well. So yeah, that's been my big update on that front. How do you say disciplined on that? Because I've been trying to do the same with Instagram and Twitter. I, I, you can actually hide them from your phone yeah. where you have yeah. to search for it. I put the yeah. little time block and it's it's it goes okay, but the last few weeks it's not been okay. Well, yeah. Are you removing it from the app? Completely, what are you doing? Delete it from your phone block it on your browsers on your computer wow. you're literally you're adding so many steps there you have, yeah and that's that's the only way it works over time you don't need it like that reliance goes and you don't need that discipline anymore but initially for like that those first week or two you need it you need to be super aggressive there yeah that's cool yeah i i started putting all the audiobooks and kindles on the front page of or the front screen of my app and i have the naval book teed up i've been rereading that one and that's a whole nother episode yeah. we need to do a full tear down of that book it's so dang good yeah well, it's, well, it's funny though like we do have these monkey brains and we need to constantly battle against ourselves to come up with ways of defeating our you know lower urges so it's it's fascinating no, it's crazy. So listener, notice how more sophisticated and interesting Jonathan is with his personal updates than I am. He's doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's doing something called OMAD. We've got the dopamine detox. He didn't even talk about any other lifestyle he hacks he has with trainers and butlers walking around him 24 
24-7 in his <laughs> undisclosed location in another country. But the dude gets it. So we'll get to mine. So I I was playing basketball a lot. I love basketball. I played it all growing up. But COVID put me into early retirement. And I started to see friends that played where all of a sudden they rip an Achilles, they tear an ACL. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should end on top before I'm on crutches for six to nine months. And I didn't have an outlet. I was like, what do I do? I was doing like a, a workout, if we'd even call it that, in my house where I'm like doing some curls, maybe some crunches, listening to a podcast. I'm like, I wouldn't even break a sweat. But then my wife found this trainer that's down the street with this little gym and every morning at 6.15, he does a 30-minute workout class, which, by the way, 30 minutes is key. Any longer, I wouldn't be in because I'm too busy with kids, and that sounds exhausting. And I walked in the first day, and it's no offense to soccer moms, but it's a lot of soccer moms, a lot of dudes that are older. I'm like, this is a joke. I got this. And he proceeded just to whip my butt into shape. And I've now done 75 workouts with him in the past like five months. And it's all at 6.15 a.m. or 7 a.m. My wife and I rotate, but it's changed the game. And it's it's these hit workouts, you know, high intensity training. And I... I'm addicted to it. I love it. And it just changes your mindset for the day. Cause before the kids start, I lay my stuff out the day before. So I can't even second guess it and I do it. I'm still waking up. So you just do it. You don't even have to, to think about it, but you, you, you start to crave it. So the, he calls it the, the sun or sorry, the, the 6am club. And so that, that's been like my, my biggest hack. And then in addition to that, he's got us on a, a food regimen where I used to be big into intermittent fasting. Now I've totally scrapped that. And to your point, it's all about getting enough protein. So I'm basically that workout bro that's pounding the shakes all the time now, trying to get 130 grams. Cause I was, when I was doing intermittent fasting, I was like withering away. I looked like Gandhi. And then I was like, I need to get some <clears throat> muscle mass on me, but that, that one's been huge. That's that's amazing. Hit is by far one of the most effective ways, especially for like time conscious, you know, parents and executives. I can't imagine a better workout. But how does he market? Is this just a neighborhood workout club or how did he get in touch with you? How did you find out about him? So his name's Chris. Shout out, Chris. What's up? He's a disciple of Alex Hermosi. So his even how he does pricing, everything is really good. But he's a local business. I think he could do an even better job of marketing, but I don't want him to because his classes fill up so fast. I have to be on the wait list sometimes. So I don't even want to say the name of his I want him to do well and thrive, but I want to be able to get access to the class every morning. But he's once people get in. They're addicted. And he sends a really good newsletter around fitness and, and nutrition that, that's pretty strong. That's amazing. That is really, really amazing. Like what, what, what difference have you noticed in your fitness since you started? I guess like 75 workouts you said in five months? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm, back then? I haven't measured my like BMI with him, but I, I was, I was thinking I was at like almost towards 15%, 16 something. I haven't gone in in 40 workouts but I can definitely tell a difference, which is nice. Just because they switch it up so much, I feel like your muscles aren't getting used to it. But it's, my wife says I look better, whatever metric for success that is. But I feel like <laughs> she also doesn't care. She'd love me either way if I was super fat, which is great for her, but bad for me. So I don't know if she's lying or not. But it's more than anything, it's my mental state. I just feel even more energized. Yeah, there's something about waking up early and accomplishing one thing 
that early. Like it feels like you already have a head start on the rest of the world. So that's definitely a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. No, no, it's awesome. My my other updates are around. I mean, my other job is is girl dadding. I'm in year five of a girl dad with a five year old and a three year old, and it's just awesome. Some of the big wins or fun things is in Seattle, there's this brand called Rad Power Bikes and they're e-bikes. And we were circling one for a while. I was like, do we get it? Do we not? We got it. And it's been like the most fun thing ever. I have taken my daughter to school on the e-bike every morning, but twice. We got the little rain cover for it. I just feel like a super dad rolling up to school in that. We got our helmets on. And that's like a, a fun little bonding thing. The other thing is anytime you, when you have a kid, you feel this pressure. We're like, oh my gosh, my kid has to be progressing the way they should be progressing. They need to be top in their class. They need to be able to ride a bike. And you put so much stress on yourself. And we've kind of tried to remove that where, you know, life's stressful enough. That's going to come really embrace having fun with them, letting them use their imagination. And yes, you can bake in times for learning. And so I've been trying to to do that and be present. And so there's two things I've been thinking through is one is around, I heard this stat that kind of floored me where when your kid leaves, when they walk out of the house at 18, you will have spent 80% of the time with them in your life that you will spend with them. And really after the age of 13, they're they just want to hang with their kids. Parents aren't cool. So you have until they're 12 or 13. My kid's almost six. So it's, I've got six years and that's six summers is what they call about, call it. And so that kind of put things into perspective. So we've really over indexed on traveling, even little weekend get- getaways, just, just create memories and, and shared experiences. And that's one that we did. We did little ski trips, little beach trips, little weekend vacations to the mountains. And we try and do something like every few months just to have it on the, on the books. And I'm, 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 nothing makes me more excited than booking a trip and being able to look forward to it. And we, we did a really good job of that in, in 2022. It reminds me of that Tim Ferriss thing where the fun is the anticipation of the moment itself, not so much the Although like the moment is is fun as well, but having something to look forward to that everyone's talking about, I think is definitely a good thing. So that's, that's awesome to hear. But my, your daughter and my niece are at exactly the same age. She's also five oh, and I get to man. see her grow up as well. And it's just, it's, it's a wonderful, it's just beautiful to watch. I never thought I'd be like this, to be honest. I was never big on kids growing up, Yeah, but it's, it's definitely changed the perspective I have towards kids. So and I intend to have a, a large family gym. I'm not going to stop it too. I'm not going to be like you there. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I, I really settled. I will say we were going to have a big family until we had our second kid. Shout out Ren. And she, it's like having five with her. We'll just leave it at that. So it's it's all good. But the, the last thing I had on the family front is there was this book where, you know, getting to five is teaching kids to read. And there's types of warning ways you can learn to read. You could do memorization of flashcards and and words, or you can do it based off of sound association, essentially hooked on phonics. And there was this book that was written in the seventies that they're still like, this is the best book that will teach any kid to read. And it does it in a hundred lessons. And so I was lucky enough that a friend smarter than me is like, I'm going to use this for my kid. I was like, done, I'm in. And so we're at lesson 96 now. And 
I, oh. we just had a, a talk with our teacher and they're like, Wes is like one of the top kids of reading and, and sounding out stuff. And for so many things, I know I've probably already messed up as a parent. That's been really exciting. And it's something that I want to keep doing where it's, and I, I do it every night with her for 15 to 30 minutes, but it's like, what are those habits I can do with kids to kind of get them one, teach them work ethic, but two, make sure they're kind of staying on pace of, of where they should be, but keep it fun. Cause there's this book about like how to raise a genius. And it talked about this father who raised three chess prodigies and how he was able to do that by one, starting young two making it fun and three, making it habitual and doing it on and on again. So when these lessons are up, I'm like, what do we do next? Do we go to math? Do we do like music? I don't know, but that's something that, that I, I want to keep doing. I've never read a book on raising kids or anything like that. So when the time comes, I'm definitely going to lean on into you, lean on you for for a lot of that experience. I mean, if you've been through it with two kids and you've actively tried to find knowledge on that, I think you're probably one of the best sources for something like that. All in all, I think it's a pretty good year. It was a little crazy there in Q3, but I think it's helpful to do these retrospectives because it's easy to just look at the bad stuff. When you take a look back, oh, you know, this we've we've got some cool stuff going on. And I, I write these every year on my blog. And it was crazy to see two years ago, we were like six people and and what was going on. But anyway, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. I think one thing I'll say for sure is that we've ended off the year much, much better than we ended or than we started. I think if, if we were to go back to, let's say, January 1st, 2022 and show them what we've done, the old versions of ourselves, that is, I think it would, there's no question that all of this would have been impressive. So hopefully we do the same thing in 2023. Nice, man. All right, we'll go put some ice on your neck or your throat. Good luck with that. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Today's episode is brought to you by Inside.com. Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? Then look no further. Seriously, this one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. 
for me, I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into Inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the qualities there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. If you want to connect with me, go to inside.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Inside. Let me know what you think.